Welcome to The Conversation, a podcast about technology, instructional design, and the learning sciences. In this episode, we'll wrap up the audio case study that Clara presented and talking through some of the ideas and then building off of them. So how are you, Clara? I'm good. Hanging in there. This is a follow-up episode to the audio case studies uh, podcast. So you listen to what my students said, and we haven't really discussed them in detail yet. This is actually going to be our first conversation about it. And um, the idea is not to necessarily say this one is good or this one is bad, but to use that as a launching point for kind of additional conversations. Um, maybe there are some ideas that we tried, that kind of thing, and close the loop on what the students have said. I wanted to say thank you also to all your students. They have had great ideas and I'm so excited to build on their ideas because I think that they are on the right path. Yeah, I agree. I think um, there were a lot of uh, good ideas and I know, as far as I know, none of them are online teachers um, or at least they haven't, you know, they're not teaching online courses right now that I know of. So um, it's interesting to hear those ideas and to kind of talk about it. So why don't you go first? One thing that a student said that I thought really uh, hit home with me because that's my motto is to make it personal. So that's something that I always do. I start with the personal. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how I structured my courses. And the first two weeks is really about uh, getting personal. So these uh, discussions are used really to create community and uh, create a sense of connection with the topic. And everything that we do goes back to the personal. So, for example, in a course that I teach called sociolinguistic, the first four weeks are all about thinking about their own schooling in relation to uh, language learning, for example, and culture, examining their own uses of language and comparing to their peers, etc. So I thought that this was a really good suggestion that I think really frames what I do and it works. Have you tried that as a way um, of kind of increasing interaction? Yes. Yeah, so what happens is none of your students um, said this, and it, it is really tricky to realize that. But in order for the discussion to be back and forth, that's something that I have increased with the years, is that you have to give students a reason to respond and respond back, you know, that back and forth. And there are two ways you can do that. One is uh, obviously one of your students suggested that is to require responses. And I think most instructors, they do that, is, for example, uh, choose two peers, choose three peers to respond to, right? So that's something that uh, it, it's easy to set up and tie that into a grid, to the grading of the forum. But I, what I found that really helped me increase the meaningfulness of the conversation is to provide prompts for the comment, not only for the initial contribution, right, that we write, but also to why are students commenting on each other? When they comment, what are they commenting on? So for example, I always use uh, prompts like, look at your peers, choose three peers to comment on and realize what are the differences and similarities between your responses? Or what are three things that you learned from your peers' responses? Uh, I think that these really help the students uh, find meaning in reading each other's responses and respond to them and connect. Again, going back to the personal. I do require students to respond to one another, but I don't give them a structure necessarily. So that might be a good idea. Um, I might think of implementing that. But going back to your when you first mentioned the personalization part, I think 
at least for me, I think it's easier to do that for assignments in that you can have assignments that relate closely to what they're doing. Or for example, for this class, they are designing unit plan. And so um, they are designing it for a class that they might potentially teach in the future. And um, I think that kind of personalization is easier to do as kind of a, a larger assignment than it is to do in terms of participation. Obviously, they should um, relate to their own experiences and ideas and background knowledge, prior knowledge, that kind of thing. But it's a little bit harder because everyone's personalized personal experience are different. So you can't have a prompt that is itself personalized. Although I certainly invite them to connect with kind of their ideas as well. There were some recommendations that I have thought about in the past, but I have not been able to find a way of implementing it. So that also has to do with personalization, which is to have students come up with the questions. And you mentioned just now that the prompt itself is key, right? First of all, coming up with a good question in a kind of asynchronous online class is harder than, than you think. And the other thing in terms of the student coming up with um, the questions for the class to discuss, I love that idea. The only challenge with that is that because it is asynchronous, so in my classes, they respond to my prompt on Friday. In the weekend, they listen to one another's responses and then respond by Sunday night, right? And I try to have those prompts for them by Monday, ideally latest Tuesday, so that students who want to get it done early can do so and, and students who need to do it on Friday, they can do that as well. If the discussion is going to be coming from the students, then the students will need to be able to do the readings and generate the questions early in the week. I think that makes that kind of personalization a little bit hard to do in terms of a practical level. One thing that I've tried uh, with students creating questions, because usually the forums for my class, and I think for your class too, Eric, they are usually uh, weekly assignments about the readings, right? That we have most, most of the time, I feel, that we have these to, to be a, an opportunity to really think deeply about the readings that we are doing since we don't have that face-to-face -face discussion, right? And as a, as a caveat, I, I do think that these discussions are a lot more meaningful than the face-to-face -face discussions that I've had in traditional classes, by the way, about the reading. But anyway, so I think that um, what you were saying about the structure, so we have to have it very structured to give students time, to give students uh, also uh, opportunities to connect and also think right at that higher level. So one way I had students create questions in some of my courses is using Bloom's Taxonomy. So I divided the students into groups and each group uh, was responsible for one level of Bloom's Taxonomy and they had to read the text and ask questions using the Bloom's Taxonomy question stamps that we have uh, online. If you Google Bloom's Taxonomy question stamps, you have a lot of different uh, suggestions for question stamps. And uh, they had to do that as a first post. And then, uh, and then the, the comment is the students have to choose, let's say, three questions and answer uh, outside of their group. So that was one way that I used student-created uh, questions. And it worked. It's fun. I do that for one of the courses I teach. So the students are asking the questions for another student to respond to? Yes. So let's say they ask an analysis question about the reading. And let's say they do that by Friday that week. And the comments are due Monday, let's say, right? So the comment would be 
choosing three questions that were asked to respond to. And I find that really interesting because first it gets the students to really think of questions that they are asking of the reading, right, instead of us. And it gives them a stem, which is nice because it's a structure. It's not any question. It prompts them to ask higher level questions. And the other students are answering the questions. So it's interesting. I, I, I feel that it's one way of doing that in a structured way because Aaron, you know me, I like structure. So, uh, but, but I, I hear you when you are, when it's, it's not, um, it might seem that it's a good practice to just let it go with the discussion. But oftentimes what I realize is that the more I let it go and not provide a structure, the less meaningful and deep the discussion is. One thing related to what you were saying about Bloom's taxonomy, and the students also mentioned that in their responses about making sure that other students are posting a number of peer responses the readings on course design for online classes all give the same recommendation. Here's another one of those challenges that is, at least for me, it's is the tracking part. It's how much time do you want to spend making sure that each student posted their thing and then responded? You have to be on top of that. Otherwise, then you're not really sure if students are interacting in the way you would like them to. And so what I do is having students re- respond to my questions and then to two or three peers or something like that. But there's a limit to how elaborate those kind of systems can be. And so if it becomes too elaborate, then there's too many things that you have to track. Theoretically, there's a technology solution for this, for technology to do the tracking, and we can focus on other things. But uh, at least right now, it's, um, it's, it's not the easiest way to do that. I think many of the suggestions that were great that the student proposed, uh, there is that instructor element behind it, that it's the amount of work that you will have. For example, I haven't done too much voice discussions because because of my life. I have a three and a six-year-old, so I don't have that real time to listen sometimes to a two-hour discussion, for example. So the written one is easier for me because I, I can skim and scan fast, right? Faster than I can hear. So that's a matter of uh, the amount of time that you have for the feedback. But for the tracking, at least for the written discussion, we now have activity completion. And what what you can do is set up the discussion. For example, what I do is a student has to post once and reply three times. And then if they do that, then the computer tracks it for us, right? Moodle, and then you'll know that the student has three comments, for example, which has helped me tremendously. That's a good point. A couple of students talked about gamification and they mentioned what I do in the class. So for example, I use something called Boosts for participation for both the forums and for VoiceThread. If it's like a very basic response, they get credit for it, but it's not, they don't, the boosts are supposed to be uh, accumulate into like extra credit at the end. But that requires a lot of tracking. Like I'm just looking at the spreadsheet that I use to track that. And I am on, um, as of now, I'm on row 3,551 for um, all the students in all the classes. So the good thing is that now I have like 3,551 data points Mm -hmm. uh, that I can play with and I can create leaderboards and I can create all this interesting things for myself or for the students. But that is 
not a solution that everyone can do because not everyone wants to track all this stuff, right? So I think that's another piece of it is that having to think about the tracking, it can be very elaborate. The good news is, and you mentioned this earlier about how you think the online discussions are better than in person, is that um, like right now they are given these boosts for, you know, if their responses are really thoughtful, if they made a connection, if they mentioned a peer response, if they played devil's advocate, if they came back and carried on a conversation with a peer, that kind of thing. So for every kind of comment I'm looking for these things and I'm if I see it I'll, I'll put it on the spreadsheet that means every student's comment gets a whole lot more attention from me as an instructor than they would in an in-person class because when in an in-person class I can't mentally keep track of these things because you have to carry on the class right so in that sense I think that's what makes online interactions a little bit more like qualitatively maybe a little bit stronger at least I can spend more time like more cognitive space and attention on each student's comments because I am tracking it. Definitely. I feel the same way. I feel that both in terms of, um, because you were saying creating these prompts is not easy. And once you are really uh, successful with the prompts that you create, once you are successful with that, you can see that it reflects on the student learning. And it's so in-depth, right, what they connect. It's almost like we have a lens into their uh, thinking, uh, which is exciting. In face-to-face classes, I, I, I don't have the same experience. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the suggestions that your students made, for example, using Zoom and Google Docs, for example. I think it goes back to what you were saying about assignments versus these discussions. And I feel that I use those media more for assignments than the discussions especially because of the synchronous nature of Zoom, for example, right? That it's, you have to schedule a time to meet. What are your thoughts about that? I have asked students in the past, like if they would like to meet for a certain time and students typically don't take that up uh, because they just, it's hard to find time for everyone. The better solution is what I'm actually start doing now to be more available to my students is to have these um, online Zoom hours where students can drop in anytime and just to chat, to hang out, or to ask a question, that kind of thing. It's hard to make every student come to those things. But I have, I have heard that some students have um, enjoyed synchronous uh, sessions, maybe because it's familiar, they kind of like to talk to their peers and so on. So it's not to say that it's not, it doesn't work. I think it, it really depends. And I think for classes that started off online in asynchronous, I don't know if it's fair to ask students to or to mandate them to come to a you know a synchronous ed- session unless you know if if there's a special reason like once or twice a semester if there's a presentation that's a different story. Yeah, I have similar thoughts to you. I've had similar experiences. However, now that more colleagues are doing this emergency remote learning, I have had colleagues ask me, uh, you do more asynchronous, but do you get all of the hours that the students need? And I, and I always think to myself, wow, the students work so hard for my class. And sometimes I feel that they are putting a lot more hours that they would in a 
regular class because they are all writing, they are all thinking, they are responding to each other. So in terms of the actual thinking and effort, I would say, I feel it's a lot more visible in an online class asynchronously. But I think there is still that idea that the synchronous is the actual time. And I'm not sure how to break that perception that asynchronous is not work. You know, it's just homework. I think none of my students, at least not recently, will say that my courses are light on work. <laughs> I think uh, right. um, they definitely work really hard. And I think the response, I think the, the misconception is uh, that when you have a student in your class, so let's say your class is one hour and 40 minutes, which is kind of standard, right? The assumption is that the student is paying attention for the whole time. And therefore, you can count that as the time they committed to the class, which is not true, right? No one is going to be focused and paying attention, 100% of their attention are in the class. At least I don't think so. Whereas in an asynchronous online class, every time they come online and respond to a voice thread or when they're doing assignment, they are putting in their attention. Right, their hour is the hour, right? Yeah, I think that's just a um, kind of a mentality that is hard to change because we're used to that. And I certainly feel that in person, there are benefits to different modalities and you have to just um, make sure that the activities you have are sensitive to that. And, and so if you take a in-person class activity and make that identical thing online, it's not going to work and vice versa, right? So I think that's, it's being able to kind of switch your mindset a, a little bit and looking at it through different lens and not the same lens. Going back to what I think more than one said using Zoom to get a good conversation, I agree. But also, I think uh, we have to be alert there during the Zoom meeting as well, not to turn into another form of uh, lecturing that we talk a lot more than the students, right? So we have to find out uh, activities and structures during the Zoom meetings for students to be able to talk as well. It's not that they are just going to talk. That's it, right? Again, we need to be intentional. What did you think about the ideas about grouping that the students came up with? I think they were great. The grouping part is uh, tricky. Some students suggested that the role of this instructor needs to be more present, right? So that mm -hmm. uh, you make sure that these discussions are uh, dynamic and that the, all of the group, part, uh, group members are participating. One student specifically recommended group rules, which I think is a great idea. I have mm -hmm. tried this before with group rules. I think that's wonderful. And, um, and then one thing that I do a lot is just grouping students randomly uh, using some sort of app that uh, does that and um, and I do I try to change the groups uh, constantly so that people can get to interact with different people but I think uh, the suggestions were really good and I and I also believe like the suggestions that we need to do more groupings right in in online classes because sometimes the total discussion can be very overwhelming but if you break students into groups it's not as overwhelming i know someone suggested to me 
not in the context of this case study to like use VoiceThread. So instead of like what what I do now is I have like a, a set of slides and then all the students respond to the questions, but then to maybe use the same slides and then let's say I want three groups, I would make three separate decks, I guess, and then put students into separate groups. So each VoiceThread will only have five students in them because they're a smaller number of students and they might uh, interact more. So when it, it becomes complicated again, not unreasonably so, but you mentioned that uh, in, in when you presented the case study that you want students to be able to hear other groups as well, right? So one way I've tried to do this, let's say I have four prompts and that I want students to answer. I'll put them in groups. I, I may color code the background of the slide. So let's say there are three groups and it's like red, blue, yellow. I would just duplicate those four slides within the same voice thread so that they can participate in the group but also if they want, listen to the other groups as well. I don't do that often because I feel like it's overwhelming when you see a, a set of slides that are like 36 slides in them, right? But again, I think that's doable and, and I might try to do a little bit more with that um, just to see how students like it. I know in this class anyway, they are soon going to be breaking up into groups to do the unit plan. So I, there will be some version of that in this class. I have tried similar things to you, and I think there are ways that you can do it that's not overburdened for us. I form groups for the week, let's say group one, group two, group three, and then I say, group one, you comment on group three, something like that. So, so it's like something very easy for us to set up, get it? But the effect is the same, that we're going to have uh, people from one group interacting with another group. That's one way that I found manageable for me to do it. Uh, that's not creating different kinds of things. Uh, it made me remember one of the suggestions, which is offer choice. And I think that's a wonderful idea in, in theory, but in practice, it can be a nightmare for the instructor because first you have to see the intention that you have with the discussion and later you will have all of these instances right of different options and it's really hard to manage on our part so i think that you, we have to balance like you were saying yeah what do you think of that the choice i have done a version of this last semester because it was more evenly split between students who were in k-12 and they were doing a unit plan and then uh, other students who were not in k-12 and they wanted they were doing a different project and so i I would have one slide for this group and another slide for this group. It's all in the same voice thread, but I would just clarify on there saying, if you read this, if you read that, you know, um, or you, if, you, if you're doing this project and, and so on. Uh, for me, I remember feeling like a little bit sad that they're not talking to each other anymore. Like, you know, like suddenly yeah. if the class has split apart. I was curious whether you think that sometimes the lack of interaction and dialogue is because students in the beginning of the semester don't know each other very well. I notice that oftentimes towards the end or a little bit past the midpoint when they know each other, they're more comfortable interacting with each other and that helps um, generate the dialogue. I don't know if you noticed that. In addition to that, one of the students also said that knowing the technology is really important to making sure that the students know. And I think it goes hand in hand with that, that in the beginning, you're still experimenting. Maybe it's your first online class and you're still getting to know other people. So that's why I do the break the ice activities in the first week so that the discussions or the activities that we do is re are really to create community. So in that regard, the, those activities have been very helpful because since they are so personal, they're not very heavy in terms 
terms of content. Uh, it's more about getting to know each other. Uh, I think the interaction has been good because it's about you. You're just talking about you. Let's say you're talking about your name or you're talking about how your schooling is like a diary or a journal that you're sharing with other people. Also, one student mentioned that she gets an email alert when someone replies to her comment. And I didn't know that because I know that there are voice thread notifications. And in the past, when I asked students, they say they don't receive it. I don't know if that's the case because um, suddenly I know at least one student mentioned that they do get notifications and then they come back and carry on the conversation. So that's good to know. And I don't know how many of my students look for those notifications or pay attention to those notifications to come back and continue the conversation. I know some of them just prefer to do like as few passes through the class as possible. Um, and, and that's not a, a judgment on their learning method, because I understand that if you're teaching, if you have a job, if you have a family and so on, you you want to have a schedule, you want to have control over your time, and you can't just sit endlessly waiting for someone to comment on you and, and can come back. So I think it's that that's also part of the issue, like some students might be more willing to just log back in frequently. And, and when they do hear a comment, they would respond and other students don't log back into the course as often and therefore they don't become part of the interaction as often. So that is a little bit hard to control because I don't want to mandate like you have to log in you know, X number of times per week. I think that's a little bit crazy. So uh, I think that's probably to have interesting prompts to begin with that peers are interacting, having a structure for the students to interact and um, giving the, them the reasons and incentives and so on to make sure that this interaction is important because you know learning is social and most of the learning comes from these discussions and interactions. The idea of email alert, I like that because it it reminds me of social media when you are on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, Facebook, you get that that uh, signal, right? The, that someone has commented or someone has posted something. And I like that social media feeling for our, our interactions that we have because it's more similar to natural conversations that we have. However, you're right that this is still an assignment. So there's always going to be that conflict, right, between um, it being an assignment and it being something that we want to be more natural as a conversation. Find that conflict is very present in online interactions. And it goes back to also the, the idea that someone was saying that the, the role of the instructor, right? Because uh, I have noticed that the more I interfere with these conversations, I don't, by the way. I told my students from the beginning that I'm not going to comment or respond. I'm going to do other things that will provide feedback. But for those discussions, it's it's peer-based. Uh, and the reason for that is that I feel that whenever I respond, I become the voice of truth and I kill the conversation. This, <laughs> I don't think the students think of me the same way as you know the voice of truth per se. No, it's not that. I mean, it's just... And like I the have right answer. Yeah, the writing answer, or they know they're being graded on these too, right, at the end. And sometimes maybe I, maybe they wouldn't feel that I am the voice, of, but I, I'm always fearful of that, that I don't want to kill the conversation. I want them to have a real authentic conversation with their peers. Do you ever have a time when you notice a student had misinterpreted something? Would you intervene or jump in then? 
I usually use these, uh, let's say, Zoom meetings, or I send a message to all addressing these misconceptions. It's it's separate from the forum. I separate. It's it's almost like I I do what I did here. I take notes and I see what the themes are and if there are any mis misconceptions, and then I I try to address it. It would be a mini lecture in a face to face environment right because when you have that in a face-to-face -face environment you can have that initial conversation with them and say look last week I, I saw that many people said this and I would like to address this so I do that uh, either by having a QA and a session with them uh, through Zoom or Google Hangouts or by emailing them saying look this is my feedback to you uh, about the discussion that we had this week. I used to do that. This semester, I have been trying to do a kind of an informal experiment where I I was curious about, of all the things I, I put on Moodle or in a video or that I send out by email or you know, put in a forum that goes into the email or whatever, how many students are listening to it or reading it? And so I put in these Easter eggs in there. And now, surprisingly and not surprisingly, it, it's definitely not 100%. It depends on the class. It could be... 80%, um, it could be 20%. It depends also on what I'm putting, you know, like there are certain things that are less important that everyone reads and I don't mind those as much, but I worry because I, I know that not every student is reading or listening to everything I mention. And so that's kind of one reason I, that I do jump in to make sure that um, if there are kind of misconceptions but also not just to correct people, but also to be part of the community. But I completely understand what your point about the being the authority in there that, that could shut down what people would say. So um, it's, it's important to be mindful of that for sure. Maybe because I do more written discussions than voice discussions, then when it's the written word, maybe it's stronger. Maybe I'm too careful with that. Maybe I should take more of a risk sometimes. We touched on this slightly, but I wanted to say that I thought there were a lot of interesting ideas on making the participation into more deliberate. Like I think there are people who mentioned uh, Jigsaw, Socratic Seminars, Fishbowl. Yeah, um, that was really good. I think those are all good. I used to do something for this class where every week a student will have to do a reflection on the discussion of that week. So they have to listen to everyone's comments and do a kind of a wrap up. And I didn't do it this semester, I, in part because I was also worried that it's only the one student who is doing it is, and myself who is, who is listening to it and, and other students might not. VoiceThread does not let me track who's listening to, to things. And um, I just, yeah, I just kind of did away with that idea. I think a lot of these assignments are, are like with the Jigsaw, Socratic um, seminar or Fishbowl, I, I might make it more into like a, like a larger graded activity than like a regular weekly participation thing. So, but I did like a lot of those ideas. Yeah, me too. Especially the fishbowl. I really like the idea of some take ownership of the more voice right during the discussion and others take notes, for example. I love that idea. I haven't tried that. The one thing that I want to try more that I, it's a new tool, a newish, is Flipgrid because Flipgrid is like voice thread but with videos and um, it seems more dynamic in a way that just the way the app is set up. So I think that it could work really well for, it's also asynchronous. I have just started using it. Are your students liking it? So the way it was originally set up was to have be 
uh, these uh, short 90 second um, videos and, and so it would it was supposed to be short and and they can play with the video they can draw on the video they can and they can comment on each other's videos and then they increase the amount of time to 10 minutes maybe the instructor can do more like do a mini presentation or something uh, as an introduction to the to the discussion I mean one of my students in the uh, in another class on online learning is using it uh, for her students and I think it's fine for um, in her context because she's she's dealing with um, uh, younger kids when I tried um, using Flipgrid and it was you have to do a video and then you have to do a uh, like a snapshot of, of yourself at the end that felt a little bit tiresome after after a while. I, I wasn't sure that I, I would be able to use something like that every week. Um, if we were talking about um, a video per question, I'm not sure if that would necessarily be the medium I would use. I think it also depends on the class. Like if the class is like maybe an art class where being able to show something visually is a, an important part of it. Or also with younger kids, you might want something more visual on there. Otherwise, if it's just like a person talking into a video, um, then I'm not sure if that adds it to anything as if it was just audio, like voice thread. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a, only one more option, right? I wouldn't use it every week either. But I know there are op there is the option of not showing yourself too. So you have that. But then it defeats the purpose of the app because I think the purpose right. is the video. Then you might as well do voice thread. <laughs> there are so many good tools out there right now. And, um, and like you said, it's a matter of exploring. I think my final message that I took from this conversation too is that first, you need the right tool for the right activity right for the right purpose but when i was listening to your students is also thinking about your philosophy of teaching in relation to your students that relationship is so crucial for how you're going to organize your own course and i think that not giving up on that is really important because your person is important as an instructor and you're going to give that tone to your class absolutely so i know some professors are very good at being you know, very entertaining and playful and like, that's not me. And so it's hard for me, I guess this is more for like in-person class. Like it's, it's hard for me to do that. So yeah, I think you have to do what makes sense to you. Otherwise you're, you're going to undermine um, your own ability to teach as well. So um, I, I agree with that. And I also wanted to, before we run out of time, wanted to say that I thought the podcast idea was interesting. This podcast originally originated as a, in this class, but um, it was me talking to the students. And so there would be dialogue and interaction in those episodes. Um, in another class, I have students talk to each other every week and there'll be a different group of students. And I always like listening to those. And I think maybe it might not be a bad idea to kind of have that in different classes as well. So I do like the podcast idea. And I think at least a few students have mentioned that both as a way to generate conversation and with um, as a way of like following UDL and giving them a different way of expressing their understanding. So I like that a lot too. I think podcasting is really, really a good way to have a conversation, a more natural conversation. I, I thought that was a great suggestion. Do you mind if we talk about gamification just real sure. quickly? Well, what yeah. did you think of that? Because I know you've dabbled, or I try to get you to dabble with gamification. What do you think about that in general, specifically, um, anything you want to say about that? 
What I love about it, and that's something that I, I saw you doing and haven't been able to do it myself because, for example, the spreadsheet or, or maybe because of my lack of knowledge of how to structure or maybe even lack of technological knowledge to be able to structure, let's say, the kinds of phases, right? But I love the idea of the pacing and moving from one thing to the other. I think that's it on your own pace. I feel that's one of the, the advantages of online learning. And I also like the badges and the incentives too, especially if they are uh, really meaningful. So I remember that you had some that I really loved and I used myself too about two years ago in a freshman seminar class that I had, which were helping hands. So if a student, help, if a student helps someone or conversation instigator or something like that, I loved those. And I thought that they were really fun ways to promote conversation and dialogue. My philosophy about gamification is that it has to be something that that is optional in the sense that if you're not if you're a student and you're not interested in gamification, then you can totally ignore it and you can do fine in the class. Um, or if you are into it and you want to go after the boosts and the power ups and and those kind of things, you do well as as well. Um, just because I I don't want to assume that everyone is motivated by those things, and so that means designing a system where potentially no one cares about, but also designing it in a way that is thoughtful because it's gamification can sound on the outside to be very easy. You just kind of give points and it's kind of like replicating the grade, but then you're not doing it right. In my view, like you, you need to find a different way of getting students to um, find it useful as well. So that like with the boosts, it's not just getting extra credit. It's understanding that this comment you posted on this slide was really good and it was good because of xyz likewise with the leaderboard which i started out because i already have those data points i use it as a another way of letting students know not just how they're doing but also like where they stand so that if if they see so and so ranked really high on the let's say the continuing conversation they can know and pay attention to that hopefully and if they don't that's fine that's okay but if they that is hopefully another form of feedback for them to be able to understand what does good participation look like and if they want they can they can pursue it I feel that it's something that I need to try more and learn more about but I, I keep telling my students, especially in K-12, that it's something that I feel would really motivate their students to to learn. I think that, that kids, it's fun to structure something like that and meaningful at the same time, what you're saying, that it's not only fun, but also it shows that you are learning concretely. I have two gamification ideas that if a student is listening to this, they can let me know what they think. It's the new case study. It's a, uh, <laughs> potentially. Um, so uh, these are things that are on my mind, um, like maybe doing it down the road. One is there's a, uh, there's a kind of gamification where it's kind of like you're, you're accumulating credits, right? And you, you can go, like in a video game, you would be able to go to a store and buy an outfit or that kind of thing, right? I was thinking of like, what if I, they can take, you know, either the power-ups or the boost, probably the power-ups, they can take those points in exchange for another pass at a, an assignment, that kind of thing. I'm not sure if that would work because I feel like it'll be, um, the, you know, the best students will always get more power-ups and, and they're probably not the ones who need the extra 
passes on the assignments anyway. So it's with gamification, you're always kind of playing with with these tensions where you want to create the right incentive structure. And and for me, um, the reason why I never did this one is because I feel like the incentive structure is wrong. And and either unless I can fix it, I don't think I'll ever implement it. Uh, I guess the the tension is like for them to be willing to sacrifice the power ups they accumulated because they they also accumulate the points to get a better grade. And so for them to understand that difference um, and to also hopefully because they are sacrificing those points, maybe they will take the revision um, more seriously because otherwise sometimes when you say, can you revise this? And, and then you get pretty much the same thing back. And that was kind of what I had in mind. And the other one, which is a little bit more likely to implement is to do something like um, like Harry Potter houses. I don't know if you know know Harry Potter, but um, when I grew up in in, um, in Malaysia, I had attended a British school, and they also had houses. So I'm assuming this is like a British thing that you, you're you're in a house, and your peers are in the house, and you you know you maybe get extra points for that. And hope the idea is that if you're in if you're a new student in this house, um, you will be in the same house across all my courses so you kind of stay in that house throughout your time in the program or throughout all the courses that you ever take with me um i thought that would be kind of interesting i start to do this thing that is related i guess is that i give them these ungraded quizzes like a quick assessment tool right I say that if the class average is above a certain point level, um, the entire class will get extra credit for for that. So I've I've done that, and um, but it's not built around a team effort. So there's no necessarily there's no incentive for them to make sure that their peers do well so that everyone gets that extra grade, at least that I know of. So I think that probably needs a little bit more thought as well. But it's the idea of, I know when you initially approached group gamification, you were concerned about the kind of the overcompetitive nature, but I think this is more like a cooperative, like if everyone in the class can get do well, then they, you know, everyone gets these extra points, I think is a way of not making gamification just about competition. Yeah, and I think that you, it, it, you're you right. I think my hesitation sometimes with games is the, the over, overly competitive nature of some games. But you're right, then we can create structures that are, are about teams, right, and team effort. And I love that. I love this idea of teams. If we could, for example, even groups that we create could become the teams for that week and they have to work together for, to get some points about something um i think that if we disassociated with grades yeah it might help like you were saying it maybe what you're saying is right that if it were attached to a grade it becomes this competition in a very bad way because the game will highlight the winner and the winner has the better grade in the class so we don't want to create that relationship, right, with our students. But you're right, if we disassociate it from the grade, then it might work because then we will have other kinds of incentives. I mean, it's still associated in, in my case in that it's extra credit, but it's not like a one-to-one, 10 points added to your final grade. It's, it's they have to accumulate more points and they have to do level up. And, and so that allows the, at least the boost and the power-ups I use to to work across the entire semester um, instead of having like a, one assignment or one thing that is due, you know, one point or something like that. So yeah, that's that's a way to do it. But it is, you know, it definitely la- requires a lot of thought and it's fun to a think lot, about, but it's, it's not easy. Yeah, it's the community. You want, want it to boost the community. And that's why I liked the badges because I feel that some of the badges were really about creating that community. 
Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we should keep thinking about it and try things because when we try things, we learn. We learn from the experience that uh, it gives us. So we'll learn what works and what, what doesn't. So before we wrap up, is there anything you wanted to, uh, that you feel like we didn't touch on, you wanted to talk about? No, again, I wanted to thank our students because I feel that they had wonderful ideas. And I'm hoping that what this conversation that we had will build on their ideas so that they can boost. Because we one thing that we have that is an advantage is that we have tried many of those ideas. And then we know some of the outcomes. So I think that I hope that this conversation made visible the outcome, some of those outcomes, so that they, they can implement them with that awareness that we didn't have when we started. Yeah. And um, since you mentioned Boost, I'm going to do one of my Easter egg things again, which is that if any student has listened to this podcast, send me an email in your subject heading, put EDT 501 if you're in digital literacies, 503 if you're in technology and instructional design, uh, or 610 if you're in online learning, send me a message with course number and then say, I heard the podcast. And you would get some power-ups, I guess. Maybe <laughs> some real Easter eggs, chocolate ones. Yeah, we'll <laughs> promise that. <laughs> but um, how, how many do you think we'll write back? Ah, okay. So I'm hoping at least 10. I, I don't, I, I hope that too. That would be amazing. <laughs> Let's see. We get a team effort if it's 10. Yeah, I'll give everyone an extra extra power-up. Like, so it's 10 for each class or 10 for total? How many students do you have? So if half this class listens, the instruction design class listens, I will give everyone um, extra power-ups on top of their personal ones. But um, Sounds like a good compromise. So we'll see. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to their responses and to talk again. It was fun. Hopefully we can keep doing this every every semester because um, I find yeah. it to be really helpful to use a case study that students listen to because it's always helpful to have a very uh, concrete uh, example of, of an issue. And I know this week they are, um, the instructional design class, are writing their own case studies. Um, so hopefully um, there were some um, ideas that you could use. And I definitely had some th things that I took away with that I would be doing in the near future. Me too. Count me in. <laughs> so thank you for your time. Have a full day and I'll talk, talk to, to you soon. Talk to you soon. Take care.